This morning we continue to look at the book of Hosea and the call for the people to come back to the Lord. I'm going to pray and then we are going to look at what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Father, you have commanded us to sing a joyful noise to you and for all the land, for all the creatures of this earth, to sing to you in praise of who you are and what you have done. Father, we are thankful that you have done great things in creation, in our salvation, in our daily lives. Lord, we can point each and every day and see your hand at work and see how you love us and how you bless us, how you care for us. So, Father, we are thankful for the great things that you have done. And we are thankful, Lord, for the great God that you are. A God who is holy, a God who is above all, a God who can change lives and circumstances, a God who can speak the world and the universe into existence. You are a loving, merciful, gracious God, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we see all of this, your character, what you have done in the book of Hosea. Lord, we see your love for your people. We see their turning from you. And we see your call and your plea to them to come back to you. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would reveal to us the depth of our sins so that we can repent of it and come back to you. That is my prayer, Lord, as we hear you speak through the prophet Hosea. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. As we've looked at the book of Hosea, we have learned that uh, God made a case against the people of Hosea and also used an the people of Israel, and used an illustration to show them how much he loved them. Hosea married Gomer, who was unfaithful to him, but he went and loved her again and brought her back. And that shows the love of God for his people, even when they f disobey him and turn from him. The last time we looked at Hosea, we saw the case that God brought against the people of Israel, a list of their sins, a list of the ways they had broken the covenant. And so, you know this, if you go into a courtroom and the judge or the prosecutor says, these are the charges against you, you have to make a plea. You say, I am guilty, or you say, I am not guilty. And maybe you say, I'm not guilty, and you give the reasons why that you're not. Well, God had laid the case out. It was very obvious, the sins of the people, the sin of idolatry, the sin of unfaithfulness, the sin of, of lying, of cheating, of adultery. The list went on and on how they broke the covenant with God and with each other. And yet the people, when they heard God's case against them, they said, not guilty. In fact, uh, many of them were defiant of God. Much like this little guy here. Don't you just love his face? His tongue sticking out, his fingers up near his ears defiant of what God had said. And don't you know some people that are like that, when they know what's wrong and they know what's right, they just don't care. They may say, you can't judge me. Don't use your morals to judge what I do. And some people are proud of the sin that they commit. They may say something like this, I'd rather party in hell than be bored in heaven. And they have this idea, yeah, I know I do things that are wrong, but that's what's fun. That's what's rebellious. I love to be a rebel. I love to have fun. And I don't care if I go to hell. I'm just going to beat it with my buddies, and we're going to drink it up and party it up, and it's just going to be a great time. 
and we're just going to raise hell. And that's what their attitude is. And they think of those who are Christians or those who are going to heaven. That's boring. You're just stuck in the mud, just vanilla, average, boring. Who wants that? And so some people are defiant when they hear God speak to them and they proclaim, and God proclaims to them, this is wrong, this is sin. They say, ah, I don't care. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. That's how some in Hosea's day responded to God. Israel's arrogance testifies against them, Hosea says. Also, Israel is obstinate as a stubborn cow. Also, they refuse to repent. And my people are bent on turning from me. Arrogant in their sin. Stubborn, not wanting to repent of it, not wanting to stop it, not wanting to relent of it, not wanting to come back to God. He just kept running from him. And they didn't care. There are some people in our world, maybe you know some in your family, I probably would guess it's not you because you're here at church. That you would just shake your fist at God and say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do and just live your life in defiance of God. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these verses in Hosea. It shows a hard attitude that's so far from God it doesn't even care about God. What I'm more concerned about is God's people, we who call ourselves Christians, the people in Hosea's day, they would call themselves God's people. Uh, when I read Hosea or any of the prophets, to me when I read it, it's obvious. Their sin is obvious. What they should do is obvious. What they haven't done is obvious. And I just think, how could you be so clueless? How couldn't you get it? How, why did you live that way? Why didn't you want to live for God? But I wonder how they looked at life and if they thought it was so obvious. See, that's what concerns me. I wonder if God wrote a specific prophecy for us, for me as a person, for us as a church. If God wrote that and it was here for us to read, would we read it and say, well, that's... That's not me. You're talking about the church down the road. You're talking about uh, my neighbor. That's not me. Would it be obvious to us that he was talking about us? Or would it, as we read it, say, that doesn't sound like us. You see, sometimes I think we read it and say, oh, that's not us. We're not that bad. But maybe we really are. Because we do a lot in our lives to repress our sin, to rationalize our sin, so that even though a sin is there, we may not even realize it. And that's what the people in Hosea's day did. I like to use the word, they were numb to their sin. You might use the word blind, they were blind to it, but that implies that they couldn't see it. You might use the word clueless, but that implies that they were ignorant, had no idea what they were doing. I think a better word is numb. Think about it this way. People who have problems sometimes will drink alcohol so that they can numb their problems. They still have the problems. They know they still have the problems, but they don't want to feel the problems. So they numb it. If you've ever been to the doctor and there's been some medicine put in you to numb you, 
you, you know that they're working on you. Know, I mean, if they numb your hand and they put stitches in there, you can see it. They're putting a needle in your hand. They're putting stitches in there, but you don't feel it. So that's why I use that word, because I believe Christians at time know their sin, know that there's a problem, but we use strategies to numb ourselves to it so that we feel good about ourselves. All of us want to be good people. And when sin is in our life and when God reveals it and we realize we're not good people, sometimes instead of repenting, we use a mechanism, a strategy, so that we are numb to the sin and then we feel like a good person again. But the sin is still there. And that's what I want us to be aware of this morning. And God revealed to us if that's what we are doing. See, in Hosea's day, things were going great for a lot of the people. So because things were going great, they thought that sin couldn't be a problem. Listen to these verses. When they had pasture, they became satisfied. They were satisfied and their hearts became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. Ephraim thinks, how rich I have become. I made it all myself. In all my earnings, no one can find any iniquity in me that I can be punished for. They had this wrong idea that if things were going well, that meant that God was blessing you, and therefore you were close to God, and sin wasn't a problem. If you were suffering, that was because you had sinned against God and He was punishing you. The book of Job shows us that is not the way God works. Job was righteous, yet he was suffering. And the opposite can be true. The wicked can prosper and be wealthy, but they can be far from God. The people in Hosea's day, when things were going well, eh, I, I got it. This is going great. I, I don't need God. I don't need to listen to Him. Things are going well. And that is a temptation in our lives. We quickly cry out to God when things are bad, when things are difficult, when we're hurting, when we're struggling. We cry out to God and say, God, help me. But when things are going well, we often don't even think about our relationship with God. And certainly don't think about our sin, even though it may be there. We just feel, well, things are going pretty good, so things must be right between me and God. They were so committed to their sin, they didn't even realize how it was destroying them. Verse, seven, verse 9 of chapter 7, Foreigners consume his strength, but he does not notice. Even his hair is streaked with gray, but he does not notice. The context of this verse is the Israelites had called out to foreign nations to ask them for help. When they called out to foreign nations, instead of calling out for God, there were consequences. But they were so focused on calling out to other nations, they did not realize how they were becoming weaker and how God was disciplining them. They didn't notice it. Back in the 70s, when I would go to my grandparents' house, all my aunts and uncles smoked. And so when we went into the house, there was just a haze of smoke all over the place. Uh, they've all since quit, but at that time, everybody was smoking, they were smoking, and there was nicotine and there was tobacco it was just everywhere now when we first went in the house it just hit you almost knocked you over but after being in it for a couple of hours the whole day you kind of got used to it 
because you were immersed in it. And that's what can happen with sin. And that's what happened to them. Because they were so immersed in the sin, they didn't notice how it was affecting them and how it was destroying them. The same can be true for us. They were God's people, so they didn't have to worry about sin. They said to God, my God, we know you. And we know that God said to them, you don't know me. There's no knowledge of me in the land. You don't know me. See, they just simply thought, because I'm an Israelite, I've got it made. I'm one of God's chosen, so I don't have to worry about how I live my life. The Pharisees in Jesus' day had the same attitude. Just because they were children of Abraham, they thought they were right with God, and they didn't have to worry about listening to Jesus when he came. And we can have the same attitude. We can think, well, I'm a Christian. So God and I, we're pretty tight. And because we're tight, you know, I don't have to worry about all the things that all those other people have to worry about who aren't part of God's family. How does someone get so numb to sin as they did? They didn't realize it was destroying them. They thought they knew God. I'll give you a few ways that we do this. One way is we redefine what sin is. If you have a morality that's based on God's word, he tells us what is right and what is wrong. But if you don't use God's word and come up with your own, or you take what God's word is and you twist it or you ignore it, then you come up with a whole new list. And you can come up with a list of right and wrong that looks like everything you're doing is exactly right. And isn't that what so many people do? Especially in our culture. Because again, people want to be good people. So they look at their life. This is what I'm doing. This is what I like to do. This is what I love. Well, you know what? I'm going to have a list of morality that says all these things are right. And I'm doing pretty good. Ignoring what God says is right and wrong. Redefining it. I mean, our culture has gotten almost to the point where everything's been redefined. So there is no sin anymore. Nothing is wrong. Fortunately, there's still a few things that are wrong, but the list seems to get smaller and smaller as we continue to get farther and farther from God's Word. So if you redefine sin, you can live your life any way you want, and you won't be a sinner. Also, we rationalize sin. We reason that it's out of our control, or we make sin in our life small in comparison to other people, or we use God's love and His mercy and His grace as a license to sin. Have you ever said anything like this? I can't help myself. Or the devil made me do it. You know, it's the idea that what I'm doing is out of my control. I, I, don't, I can't help myself. Also, uh, that's who I am. You know, God made me that way. Or it's just who I am. It can't be changed. You know, maybe I'm just a vicious, angry person. But hey, that's my personality. Y'all just have to deal with it. You know, it's not a sin. It's who I am. It's my personality. Or maybe someone says this. It's a bad habit. Saying that implies that you kind of learned it by accident. It's a habit. It's not a sin. And since it's a habit, it's hard to break habits. So you can't expect me to break a habit. And habits aren't really sin, is it? See how you can rationalize sin away? Everybody does it. What you're saying is... Uh, 
I'm, you know, I'm an average person, and everybody makes mistakes, everybody sins, and, you know, I'm, I'm not bad like other people are. What do you expect me to be, a, a, a saint? You know, no one's a saint. No one wants to be a saint. You know, I'm not as bad as other people. And so we categorize sin. The, the real bad sin, everybody else does. The things I do, they're not sin. Again, it's a habit, it's a mistake, it's a personality trait. Sometimes we'll try to excuse me, diminish sin. I'll get it out, diminish sin. It's just a white lie. We're trying to say, my sin doesn't hurt anybody, so it's not a problem. We'll say, God will forgive me. We want to be special people. Sometimes we truly believe that if we sin, God's going to forgive us. We're not going to have any consequences for our sin. Everybody else will, but not me. I'm special. Or God loves me. We use this as a rationale for sin. Because we're saying, I'm special. God's not going to judge me. He loves me. He's just going to let me live my life the way I want to. You see all these statements and others could be added different ways that we look at our sin and we explain it away. It's not sin, it's who I am. It's not sin, it's a habit. It's not sin, everybody else does it. It's not hurting anybody. It's uh, God's going to take care of it, he loves me. See how you can be in sin, but yet dismiss it by rationalizing it. And the worst thing that people in Hosea's day did, and we do as Christians as well, we use our religion to cover up our sin. Though they offer sacrificial gifts and eat the flesh, the Lord does not accept them. They go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, but do not find him. He has withdrawn from them. And God says, I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What God is saying is this. The people in Hosea's day, they went offered sacrifices, they went and they sang songs, they did religious activities, but they were not close to God. And so they hoped that all this religious activity, God would see that and not see their sin. And this would just be a cover over their sin. Christians do that, the Pharisees did that in Jesus' day. We don't want to get rid of our sin, we just want to put a nice religious covering over it. We don't want to have a relationship with God. We just want to use religion so that other people think good of us and God's going to think good of us, but we don't have to deal with the sin in our life. That type of worship, religious activity is hollow. It's worthless. It's useless, and God hates it. God says, I don't want any of that. I don't want you singing songs. I don't want you listening to sermons. I don't want you going to church. I don't want you to do any of that if you are far from me and your heart's not with me. What he wants is us to worship him genuinely in spirit and in truth and right relationship with him. And then our songs are an outpouring of our love and our relationship to him. Our acts of kindness and our evangelism and what we do for God is an outpouring of what is in us and our relationship with Him. That's what true worship is and that's what God is seeking. Not a veneer that covers sin. 
Of course, the only right response to a court document that says you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, is to repent. And we talked about that the last time we looked at God's case against the Israelites. We talked about how repentance is confessing. That's admitting to God, God, this is a sin. And then repenting of it is turning from it and not doing it again. And God gives us the ability and the power to do that. God doesn't tell us this is wrong and good luck at trying not to do it. God says this is wrong and here's God the Holy Spirit living within you to give you the ability to live a righteous life. God doesn't leave us alone. So we live a life of righteousness. We show the fruits of repentance, John the Baptist said to the Pharisees who came claiming to repent. And he said, let me see it. It's got to be shown in right living. But I want to show you again where we as Christians will have fake repentance. And this is not what we want. One is being sorry for the consequences, but not sorry for the sin. It's being sorry for getting caught. And we see this all the time with our children. You know, you tell your kids, don't eat any cookies before dinner. And then they find the cookie jar, they're eating the cookies, they're eating the cookies, until they get caught. Then there's tears. Then there's, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. So you hide the cookie jar somewhere else. They find it, and they're eating the cookies again before dinner. Were they sorry the first time? No, they were just sorry they got caught. And so many times that's how we live our lives. We suffer devastating consequences for our sin and we cry out to God and say, God, help me. God, I'm sorry. God, I'll never do it again. But we're not genuine. We're not honest. We're just saying those things because we got caught. That's not true repentance. True repentance also is, oh, this is, excuse me, this is a verse, the People in Hosea's day did this. They do not cry to me from their hearts. Rather, they wail on their beds. They slash themselves for grain and new wine. They turn from me. They were suffering, but they complained about it. They cried about it, but they didn't talk to God about it. And the slashing themselves indicates that they were actually doing this to worship Baal. They were asking Baal for help, a false god for help rather than God. They were sorry for getting caught, but they were not sorry for their sin. We want forgiveness without changing behavior. We just want to say a magic formula to God. God, please forgive me. Then you go on with your life, doing the same things you were doing. That's not repentance. And repenting of some sins, but ignoring others. So, you see the depth of your sin, and you say, well... I'll, I'll admit this, God, but all this stuff, I'm just forget that. I'm, I'm going to ignore that. I'm not going to deal with that. But I'll admit this. Well, that's not true repentance either. For us to truly repent, we really do have to love God more than we love our sin. And I think this is the whole crux of the matter right here. Again, we often think sin is a problem for unbelievers. Sin is a problem for other people, but it's not. It's sin is a problem for Christians as well. 
In fact, it's uglier in Christians because we know better. And we have the power of God to do better. So when it's in our lives, it's even worse and uglier than it is in an unbeliever's life. And as long as we continue to rationalize it away, as long as we continue to ignore it, we are going to be hindered in our walk with God. We are going to be far from God. We are going to be hypocrites. And we are never going to experience the blessing of God that He wants for us. And so I challenge you to be honest with God this morning. And that's my prayer for myself and for you. To be honest. Not to try to get out of our sin by a magic formula prayer. Not trying to cover it. Not trying to ignore it. Not trying to rationalize it. But to truly repent of it. Do you love God more than you love your sin? I think all of us would want to say yes. Well, if that's true, then let's see the results of it in our lives. Where we hate sin as much as God does. When it first comes into our life, we repent of it and get rid of it. Where we see a life lived in righteousness. That shows that we love God more than our sin. Let's pray, and in our prayers, let's listen to God and be honest with Him. Father, my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters this morning is that right now, God, you would speak to us. As David prays, I pray that you would examine us, that you would reveal our hidden sins ones that we have rationalized so much that we don't even consider it sin, sin that we have buried, sin that we have ignored. Father, I pray we'd look beyond the things you have called us to not do and look at the things you've told us to do. Lord, that is as much sin as well. Lord, maybe you've called us to minister. Maybe you have called us to love someone, to speak to someone. Maybe you have called us to tell someone the good news and we've said no. And that sin needs to be repented of this morning. So Lord, I'm going to stop talking so that you can talk to me, to my brothers and sisters. Show us and may we truly repent. And I pray Jesus in your name. Amen.